seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned. Suffered as if he did. All authority, every victory is yours. All authority, every victory is yours. 
Father, there is none stronger than you. We've come to worship you today, to open our lives and our hearts to you and declare that you are the great God. And we want to know you more. We ask that your spirit would speak into our lives and into this time of worship. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. We encourage you to... uh, Introduce yourself maybe to someone you don't know. Greet someone that you do know as we share a time of fellowship together.
We uh, want to welcome uh, students who are back, academy students, college students. Great to see you, and we're praying that this is an awesome uh, semester and year, not only academically, but uh, relationally and spiritually. And just know that uh, we as a congregation are praying for you. And we, we'd love to, uh, to connect with you, and uh, we would love just to be your church home while you're here, and that you would, you would sense a, a place where you connect your life to others here. And we'd love to have you get involved in ministry as well as what happens here on Sunday morning. There's a number of inserts in your bulletin about connecting uh, ministry with children, youth. Uh, you can work with uh, other outreach of college ministries, music, stuff on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, uh, Wednesday evenings. There's all kinds of ways to be involved. And I encourage you to take a moment. You can look at those. You can drop the, a sheet if you're interested in offering plate. There's a box in the back. Uh, I suspect that a number of you uh, have, are involved at the church where you were raised. And you come here and wonder, is there anything for me to do? There are lots of things for you to do. So we'd love to have you involved. And you just feel free to... Uh, to uh, go to the website also and uh, check out things or contact us if you have some questions about ministries in the church. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to get together just to pray. We're going to pray for this new academic year. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for things around the world. Uh, There are situations in Egypt and Syria and Nigeria right now that are kind of coming apart at the seams. And we, we get some of the general news of those places, but uh, Christians also are really facing the brunt of a lot of what's happening. In Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood is blaming Christians for what has taken place there, and they are targeting Christians systematically. And um, in Syria, the Christians are being persecuted. In Nigeria, they're fleeing. Villages are fleeing that are Christian because of uh, violence. And it's hard for us to imagine some of that because we don't face those kinds of things, but our brothers and sisters do. And one of, the, one of the words that keeps coming back to us from people who connect with them is that they feel like we've forgotten them. And so one of the ways we can remember them is to pray. And so we're going to pray for them this morning. We're also going to encourage you to continue to pray for them in the days and weeks ahead. And we will pray for them tonight as well as the other things related to our lives. We'll be here to anoint with oil and to pray for healing for those of you who might want to do that. So I invite you back here at 6 and we will spend some time praying together. Uh, You also notice that um, the uh, Koinonia ministry begins this evening at 7 o'clock in Wesley Chapel. This is a regular Sunday night ministry of worship. And we encourage you to be a part of that, to, to be a part of this gathering. We are privileged to have the Koinonia leaders, leaders here this morning. And as they embark on this ministry, we want to take a moment to pray for them and ask God's grace upon them. I'm going to ask them to come and to stand here in the front. And I'm going to ask all of you to stand as well, just as a show of support as we pray for them. Father, we read in the Psalms so many times about worshiping you. We worship you with our words, with songs, with instruments, with our lives. This group standing before us has committed themselves to lead in worship this year. We pray your anointing upon them. Help them to sense your spirit leading and guiding them as they prepare for worship. And as they stand and lead worship, 
I know that every one of them, their desire is that they would disappear during these times of worship so that everyone could see you more clearly. And we pray that that will indeed happen. We pray that you will anoint their relationships with each other, that as they meet and as they talk and as they pray together and share life together, that they would sense you bonding them as one in Christ. We pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on all that they are and all that they do. Protect them and give them grace in their daily walk with you. Be so central to everything that they are when they're standing in front of Koinonia and when they're not. That they would know your grace, your mercy, your strength in every moment of their lives. We send them forth in the power of your spirit, in the ministry of Christ. And we look forward to all you're going to do in them and through them. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, all that we have is from God, and He has blessed us immensely. Each week we have the opportunity to give back something uh, out of which God has blessed us. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give back to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, worship Your holy name. The sun.
Please be seated. Sometimes the way we pray, the posture in which we pray, makes a difference for us in the mindset of our prayers. There's nothing magical about the posture, but sometimes it just seems like the right thing to do in the moment. So sometimes we stand and we sit, sometimes we lay prostrate on the floor, sometimes we kneel. This morning, if you would like to offer your prayers kneeling at the altar rail, or if you want to come up front and sit in one of the chairs, come and join me as we offer our corporate prayers to God. Father, we come today with a lot of stuff in our lives. Some of us here this morning wrestled with even coming to church because we feel overwhelmed with guilt and shame about decisions we've made or things we've done or things we've left undone. Forgive us. Help us to know the embrace of your love. Some of us come today with burdens about ourselves or people who are struggling with illness, who are grieving. And we pray that you would heal and comfort. For some of us, there are relationships that are just not where they ought to be. And we know that. Maybe we're working on it. Maybe we're not. But we definitely need your healing, your restoration, reconciliation. And so we pray for you to do just that. Some of us come this morning anxious, worried, a little bit fearful about the future. Fill us with your peace. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, we pray for this world. The world is in pretty bad shape sometimes. We think about the situations in Egypt, and Syria, Nigeria. We are amazed at the things that human beings will do to each other in order to hang on or to get power, wealth. We pray that you would bring peace in the midst of violence. We pray, Father, that you would help our brothers and sisters in these places and in other places of the world who face the kinds of things in life that we know nothing about, by and large. We pray that you would miraculously protect them. And we pray that they would know through your spirit our prayers, our love, our support, and the love and the prayers and the support of Christians all over the world. Give them grace to be your people in a very difficult circumstance. 
Father, we pray as we embark on this academic year that you would work in this place and whatever our role in in the institutions here, student, faculty, staff member, we pray, Father, that you would help us to be the best we can be at what you have called us in this moment. And we pray that as this year comes to a close, we would realize that you have done some great things as we have opened our lives to you. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them through Christ, who came as a little baby, went to the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to be with you, and promises to come back for us. It's in his strong and powerful name that we pray. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 37, 1 through 6. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pleasure. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great
Please be seated. I don't think I'm telling you anything new, but life isn't fair. And that really bugs me. You know, does that bug you? I hate the fact that life isn't fair. I want life to be fair. I, I, want, I want things to go in a natural progression that... Things, you know, that you look at stuff and you say, okay, that's the way it should be. And so often in life, it's the opposite. And it really bugs me. It always has. I mean, I was a little child. I, I hated things that were unfair. You know, my, everybody in America, including my family, is watching the Waltons. I hated that show. It was too real, you know. And the same way with Little House on the Prairie. You know, now he competed with Monday Night Football, and that was a whole argument that, you know, I had with my sisters and my mom. But nevertheless, I, I hated that show. People get sick. Good people go blind, and they die, and tragedies happen. And I'm thinking, I can get this anywhere. I don't need to watch that on television. You know, I, I don't want, I don't hate that, that life isn't fair. I remember as a child, I was probably eight years old, we were on a vacation, stopped in a motel, and of course this was, you know, the olden days when you only had four channels television to watch, and one of those was PBS, and they didn't do anything but really educational television, I think. And so we're family turned on one of those channels, and we're watching, started watching this movie, it was an old western, which we didn't typically watch westerns, but it was one of those movies, and so we're sitting there, we're watching this movie, and the opening scene, this guy and his son walk into the general store, and after they're there, they're talking, and, and the, uh, a couple of bullies walk in, and they start giving grief to the owner of the store. And it's starting to escalate. And this kid's dad steps in and says, hey, you can't do that. And he steps in to try to intervene. And, in, and the outcome of it is he gets stabbed to death right in front of his little boy. And all I could think about was that could be my dad. And I'm sitting there at the end of the bed just sobbing. I think I scared my parents half to death. But I remember the feeling in my heart of that's not fair. Good people shouldn't have that happen to them. And bad people shouldn't be able to, to do those kinds of things. And, but as I've grown up, I realize that's life. Life's unfair. Good people get sick. People who, who are corrupt and evil get stuff. And people who are good and kind get taken advantage of. That's life. And everything in my being wants to fight against that. And I think that's what you hear from David here in Psalm 37. David, put this psalm in a nutshell. He's saying, God, why is it that ungodly people prosper? And the righteous don't. What in the world's going on here? Why is it the people who use people, why is it the people who are greedy and ruthless and ungodly 
and people who reject you, why is it that they are prosperous and successful and those of us who are trying to live right are not? Something's wrong with this picture, Lord. And throughout the psalm, David is really answering that question, trying to help himself and people come to grips with how to deal with that. And in a number of places, he he reminds us that what looks like success and prosperity really isn't. What looks like people who are having great success are really just getting stuff that's fleeting. It really doesn't mean what we think it means. He looked through this passage and he says in verse, in verse 1, Don't be envious of people who do wrong. For they, like grass, they will soon wither. And the green plants will soon die away. And see, that's one of the points he's making. Is It's not just that David isn't just complaining that it's unfair. He's jealous. He says, Lord, it's not just that the ungodly are prosperous. I want what they have. I want to be prosperous. I want to be successful. I want to be the guy who gets the good stuff. How come it's not happening? And then he remembers, oh, wait a second. All of this stuff is like grass that will soon wither. It's like green plants that will soon die away. He says in verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. They will not be found. The Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. The power of the wicked will be broken. The wicked will perish. They will vanish like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish like smoke. And one of the reasons we struggle so much with being, with being jealous and, and thinking that life is unfair because people are getting stuff that we want is because we have forgotten that the stuff they're getting is fleeting. It's all going to disappear at some point in time. On the day when we die... It's gone. It doesn't matter how much money we have. The day we die, we have nothing. It doesn't matter how many homes we own. The day we die, nothing. It doesn't matter how much power we have in this world. The day we die, nothing. It doesn't matter how much people adore us and worship us, how much fame we have. The moment we die, nothing. It is like dust in the wind. So why would we be jealous of that? Why really? Why would we be jealous of something that's going to be that's going to disappear like that? One of the arguments is, well, it's pretty nice now. It's nice to have it while we're living. You talk to people who have gotten what we think we want. And almost to a person, you read story after story after story. They will tell you, before I die, it's fleeting. Even now, while I live on this earth, it doesn't satisfy me the way I thought it would. It isn't doing for me what I was hoping it would. It isn't filling that void that deep down in my soul I thought it would fill. And you know that's true because... People keep getting, wanting more. John Rockefeller's you know, famous question, how much money does it take to make you happy? And he said, just a little bit more. It's, we know it's, it, isn't, it isn't filling the void. Why else would, would executive officers of big corporations who have more money than they know what to do with, 
steal the pension funds of their employees who are just eking to get by. They're just looking for one more thrill, one more, one more something to fill the void that what they have isn't filling. Why is it that people keep grasping for power and they keep walking over people to get more power and more power? Because it's not enough. I'm always amused at at entertainers who spend their lives trying to become famous. Who spend their lives hoping that people will notice them when they walk down the street. That that they will be people who are adored and and in a sense worshipped and loved and, and, and people will recognize them. But once they reach that, the next thing you hear them say is, "Where well, I don't have a private life anymore. These people are bugging me. They're in my face all the time. Get away from me. I don't want your attention. What they thought was the end all isn't. And there's so many things in our lives that we think if we could just get that, if we could just get a 4.0, If we could just get that job, if we could just find that right relationship, if we could just get what we're looking for, then we'd have it. And as important as some of those things are, and as as wonderful as some of those things are, they're always going to fall short of that filling that deep spot deep in our souls. Because the reality is only God can fill that place. And David says to us, beginning in verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Focus your attention on God. Because the one who created us is the only one who can fill the void within us. The question is, what does it look like to trust God, to commit our way to God, to to seek God, to delight in God? In fact, you know, David is he's trying every word he can think of to describe what he's calling us to. And it's so big and so multifaceted, it's hard for him to do that. And so he keeps using all these different verbs to describe it, hoping one of them will connect with us. An image came to my mind in verse 3. NIV says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. But the New American Standard says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Another says, dwell in the land and keep faith. And Robert Alter says that at the heart of that phrase, keep faith, it really means to to shepherd trust. Or another way he translates it is to chase trust. And I have an image in my mind of a shepherd who is counting the sheep and one's missing. And he will do anything to find that sheep. Because he loves that sheep. He cares about that little lamb. And he will go over mountains, down into valleys. He will put himself in peril, climbing in places, looking for that lamb. 
And he will exert all the energy he has to find that lamb and bring it back to the fold. And I have in my mind this image of what it means to chase trust. That we want to trust God so much. We want to learn what it means to trust God so much that there is no obstacle too great in our path. We will do everything possible to turn to God, to look to God, to commit our ways to God, to focus on God. We will give ourselves, our energy, our time, everything about our being to focus on God. Because we're convinced that only God fills that place. Only God gives us that deep down desire of our hearts. We trust that God is good. And the problem with that is that when we say that God is good, we want to say that means God's going to give us whatever we want. And often God being good doesn't mean he's going to give us whatever it is that we want. I mean, the whole point of trusting means something isn't happening the way we think it should happen. And so we have to wait. We have to believe that even though it's not happening this way, God is still in control, God is still good. And that's hard for us. See, God is concerned about deeper things than we are. And sometimes waiting is the only way, sometimes making us wait is the only way for God to help us turn to him and experience him and realize how much we need him. When our lives are easy, when everything's going exactly the way we want, our natural tendency is to say, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. I've got life under control. And God becomes sort of peripheral to us. C.S. Lewis said it, it's like a friend of his who talks about God, says God, for a lot of people, is like, uh, it's like an airman's parachute. You're glad it's there, but you hope you never have to use it. And sometimes I think we feel that way about God. Oh, we want God to be there, but we hope we don't get into so much trouble that we have to turn to God. You know, it's that old phrase, I guess all that's left is to turn to God. God knows that when we're in trouble, we're much more likely to turn to him. And so he will let us wait. He will put us in positions. He will allow things to happen in our lives that make us wait and make us trust. Because only when we learn to trust do we find intimacy with God that brings to us joy and peace and real life. Don Joy was a professor of Cindy Mine at Asbury Seminary when we were students there. He told about the um, incident with his 16-year-old son, Mike, who bought a, an old, old car that was in bad shape, but it was all he could afford. And he was driving this car around, and, but after a couple of days, he noticed that uh, below the car, all the antifreeze had leaked out of the radiator. So he poured more in, and the next day, all of it leaked out again, and he figured something must not be right here. So he had it, took it to somebody, and they patched it up and... You know, he had to fork out a fair amount of money to do that. Filled it back up. And it wasn't very long until one of the radiator hoses burst. They were old. They were cracked. So a friend of his said, I'll help you fix this. So they got together and they fixed it. But what they didn't realize is as they were fixing it, his friend put a screw through the radiator. 
And when they filled it up with antifreeze, a couple of days later, they realized all of it had leaked out again. So now he has to hire somebody to fix the hole. He has to put more antifreeze in it. And he is accumulating this huge bill. He's had this car for a couple of months. He's only driven it a couple of days. And he's paid out, paying out all this money. So Don and his wife are deciding, how do we handle this? He said, we figured we had three options. One was to give him a good tongue lashing for wasting his money on this car to begin with. Another was to offer to pay for all the damage because it wasn't really his fault. It was just one of those things that happens in life. And the third option was to sit back and let him deal with it. And he said, it was a hard one to make, but we decided on option three. And I got to tell you, I'm reading this and I remember him talking about it in class. I'm thinking, I don't know if I could do that. I think I'd want to step in and rescue my children. But he said, we realized if he was going to learn a lesson, if he was going to be, learn lessons of adulthood, this was a perfect time to start. And so we said to him, you're going to have to figure this out. And so the car sat in his driveway for a while until he earned enough money to pay all the bills back and to get it fixed. He said, as hard as that was on us, and there were many times he said, I wanted to reach in my back pocket and pull out a bunch of cash and hand it to him and say, I can't take this anymore. Go fix it. He said, we didn't. And in the end, he said, Mike learned some amazing lessons about life. And he is now a business owner. But the number of employees, he said, I tend to go to him for business and financial advice. And there's something in that story about the way God works with us. God doesn't always step in and rescue us. Because sometimes we need to realize that God is helping us to learn bigger lessons than we would learn otherwise. Sometimes life is unfair because we live in this broken world sinful world and stuff happens and sometimes God doesn't step in and change all of that and eliminate all of that because he know he has bigger things in mind for us deeper things he doesn't just want us to experience the prosperity and success of this world he wants us to know him intimately and in that knowledge of him to experience deep joy and peace and real life as we were created to experience. And so often, we are so wrapped up in this stuff around us, we miss that. I think it was St. Augustine who said, God has so much he wants to give us, but he can't because our hands are full of all this other stuff. And so God puts us in positions that in essence forces us to let go of that stuff so that we can learn to trust him to give us what really matters. I don't know if we were to create a continuum of trust where you might be on that. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, I don't even know what it means to trust God at all. I have, I, I've never even tried that. I suspect that a number of us here this morning have lived for a while trying to trust God. But the one thing I know, wherever we may end up on that continuum, 
is that all of us need to continue to learn to trust God more. And God is willing, God loves us enough to put us in positions, put us in places to live in a world in which we are forced to trust him if we're going to be what he wants us to be. When life is unfair, when people get what we want, when things happen that we don't understand, when we sit back and we think, God, what is, I don't get this. What's happening here? Why, why is this happening? It's in those moments when we have the greatest opportunities to trust that despite what we think and despite what we feel, despite what we are seeing, to believe and to trust that God is good, that God is in control that he has more for us than we could ever imagine. When our passion is for God, he gives us the desires of our hearts. Because then, what we desire is him. Heavenly Father, in this moment of contemplation, meditation, you know the stuff going through our minds, questions, the concerns, the uncertainties. Hear our prayers for your spirit to help us trust you. Lord, we declare today that you are good and that we can trust you. Thank you for the opportunities you give us to prove that you are indeed trustworthy. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of 
everything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your hand. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You were on your
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.